Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. There may be no other city in the world that can entertain like the city of Los Angeles, California, and it's Hollywood. Well, how about when Hollywood meets football? We have Rich Smelter on with a book that he just recently wrote about that very subject. Rich is on in just a moment to tell us all about Hollywood and football and what happens next. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal of positive football history. And welcome to another edition where we get to have a guest come on and talk about a recent book that they've had published on the game of football. That's what we're all about, talking football history. And our friend Rich Smelter is back with us. Rich, welcome to the Pigpen. Darren, thank you so much. And as always, I love to jump headfirst into the Pigpen with you. <laughs> I love I love everyone out there in, in the audience and stuff. I love doing this show. This guy is awesome. Well, thank you, Rich. We think the same about you. And when you dive head first, make sure you put goggles on because that mud can splatter pretty good. So, oh, I will. No problem. <laughs> I got an excuse now in case I, you know, get all face full of mud and I can't speak that well. You know, I can make that as an excuse. <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. All right, well, you have a book that came out recently, and it's, it's got an amazing title, and I'm going to let you present the title and what the basic premise is of the book. So why don't you go ahead and share that with us? Okay, thank you so much, Darren. The name of the book is called Professional Football Goes Hollywood, and it also deals with the emergence of not only professional football in Hollywood, but also the city of Los Angeles and Hollywood, and it's just a – it's just – kind of two entities that came together in my mind, and I've wanted to do this project for so long. I became enamored with the 1951 Rams, and they, I remember the, remember the books, uh, the Punt, Pass, and Kick library that used to oh, come yeah. out with it, right. and I got a couple of those when I was a kid, and I read just a few years ago. You know, <laughs> I, It makes me feel better if I say that, but, um, uh, and I was reading, they, the one was called The Championship Teams of the NFL. And I was reading about it. They had, you know, the 40 Bears, the 56 Giants, 64 Browns. And the one entry was the 51 Rams. So I was reading it, and I was just, you know, fascinated by this. And around that time, I became really fascinated with Marilyn Monroe. And Marilyn Monroe started a movie called Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Jane Russell, who was married to Bob Waterfield, the stud quarterback of the Rams. So that all of a sudden got me hooked, you know, more and more. So really, it was Hollywood that got me hooked like that. And the more I started to do some other projects about, you know, the history of uh, USC football and uh, the Lakers and all, I started to delve into the history of Los Angeles and more into Hollywood. And both both the NFL and the, the city kind of merged. You know, you, you had uh, the, 
the, the birth of professional football in Los Angeles came in the 1920s, in 1926. Uh, actually, it was started by Red Grange's barnstorming tour after he was done at the University of Illinois. He went on a brown, excuse me, barnstorming tour, and he traveled to all these different cities. Well, he traveled to Los Angeles in January of 1926, and just, I believe it was like 75,000 people showed up in the L.A. Coliseum. So wow. the city started to think, hey, you know what, we can maybe have a professional football team out here. But USC ruled the city at that time. I mean, they were almost like a professional football team anyway. And they said, there's no way that you're going to get a professional football team to play in the Coliseum, and they put a ban on it. So they did the next best thing was they started the Los Angeles Buccaneers in 1926, and they used the city of Chicago as a base. Because First off, the NFL was, was not too fond of traveling west of the Rockies because they figured, okay, if you're going from New York to Chicago, that's a long enough haul. Again, in the 1920s we're talking. So all of a sudden to Los Angeles would just be, my gosh, you know, be unheard of. And, um, you know, the guys would be drained, tired by the time they got there and all. So what they did was they based the, they based the team out of, Los, out of uh, Chicago. So the team was the Los Angeles Buccaneers. But, again, they were based out of Chicago. They never played a game in Los Angeles, no, no regular season game. They went 6-3-1. and one. Unfortunately, they disbanded. And then there was a, 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 the first rendition of the American Football League that came out in 1926. And they had a team called the Los Angeles Wildcats. And the same thing happened. You know, it, it was like they, they, they played. They were also based in Chicago. And then both teams kind of crashed and burned. And the funny thing, though, about the Los Angeles Buccaneers, which classic case about, you know, the allure of Hollywood, was they didn't have that many players on the team. So what they did was they got friends of theirs to get dressed up, people that didn't even know a thing about football. But they got them dressed up in these, in these uniforms, and they came running out onto the field. So when you saw the Los Angeles Buccaneers, let's say, hit a town like Cleveland or Pittsburgh, they would come roaring out there with about 60 guys. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, look at this team, you know. <laughs> but maybe only 14 or 15 of them could actually play football. But it just looked impressive. So there you had the magic of Hollywood happening that way. And in the 1920s with Los Angeles, when the NFL started there, you had the emergence of Hollywood there. And uh, Hollywood all of a sudden just broke out in the 20s. And then the, the Depression hit, and you didn't have, you know, the, the NFL was lucky enough to, to stay you know, afloat because of the Depression. But in the mid-1930s, the uh, Pacific Coast Football League started. So you had teams based in Los Angeles, a few up in San Francisco, and you had the uh, Los Angeles Bulldogs, the Hollywood Bears, and they were just incredible teams, you know. And they, they just battled back and forth to see who would win the championship. And that was just phenomenal. They had just phenomenal, phenomenal talent. And it was very, very popular. So finally, in 1946, Dan Reeves, the owner of the Cleveland Rams, was saying, you know, I would really like to move to Los Angeles. The attendance isn't all that great with the Cleveland Rams. And the Cleveland Rams went 9-1 and that year. They won the NFL championship, but they only had 32,000 people come out to this massive Cleveland stadium to see a game. Now, granted, it was like minus 8 degrees outside. It was freezing, and that had something to do with it. But that kind of gave Dan Reeves some leverage. He went to the NFL meetings and said, I want to move the team. And they said, well, again, we don't want to go 
west of Chicago or St. Louis. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, we, we can't do it. So, but Dan Reeves stayed persistent. And then the American football, the All-America Football Conference came out in 1946. So all of a sudden, you had a team based in Cleveland. Dan Reeves had leverage like, hey, look, we're going to be losing money. This team, we won the championship. You got this team coming in, coached by Paul Brown. Everybody's hyped up about this. Nobody cares about us. I want to move. Well, they were again, they kind of said, well, I don't know. Then they realized that the AAFC was going to have a team based in Los Angeles. And they're like, okay, we got to get in there. So Dan Reeves went out to Los Angeles, tried to work out a deal. But there was one stipulation. Uh, there was a, there was a, like a ban on African American players at that time in, in the NFL. It was, it was an un, un, unheard of. It was like an unmentioned ban, you know, one of those type of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, they said they had a lot of the African American newspapers. The leaders of those papers came out to Los Angeles and said, look, we will support you if you get a team out here, but you're going to have to have some African-Americans on the team. Now, the Rams had no problem with it. And they drafted, or they, they got, they acquired Kenny Washington, who was a legend in the Pacific Coast Football League, and one of my favorites. You know, and also uh, Woody Stroud, who became an actor in Hollywood. And they, so they integrated the National Football League a year before Jackie Robinson did Major League Baseball. And Dan Reeves was, uh, you know, you know, fine with all that. You know, I mean, it's like he, he had this massive, massive coliseum. And the most important thing was he also had Bob Waterfield, who was drafted by the Cleveland Rams, but now he was with the Los Angeles Rams. So he had this hometown hero married to this Jane Russell, the one of the sex symbols of Hollywood, as his wife coming out to, you know, back home to Los Angeles where he grew up. He went to Van Nuys High School. And so all of a sudden, but it, it also took, took the Rams a little bit of time to get established out there. And the L.A. Dons were in the Amer- All-America Football Team, All-America Football Conference. They, uh, they all of a sudden became popular. They had a lot of Hollywood backing also. So it was quite a battle between them. Now also, the emergence of the city after World War II also helped. So you had the Rams, you had Manifest Destiny created by both both the leagues, the NFL and the AAFC, in professional football wise. Now you also had probably the biggest boom that Los Angeles ever had, growth wise, because during World War II a lot of people worked over in Los Angeles, and a lot of people were stationed in Los Angeles, and you know the weather was beautiful out there. They decided to stay there. All of a sudden the homing boom, the housing boom, just was was blowing up and everything like that. So the city grew, Hollywood was still pumping things out, they got stronger, everything was, you know, wonderful after World War II, so to say. And um, then the NFL started to get stronger. By 1949, the Los Angeles Dons and the AAFC folded. And a couple teams, you know, the Browns came, uh, San Francisco 49ers came into the uh, NFL, but the Dons didn't. So now the Rams were the only team in town. And they came up with an explosive offense. I mean, record-setting. You know, because the weather was beautiful out there. They had uh, the pass. They, they had they, the, the amazing thing about this, Darren, is you had two quarterbacks. You had Bob Waterfield and Norm Van Brocklin. And one would start the game, the other one would finish it, and they they would alternate. Both of them got into the Hall of Fame. Okay, you had two backfields there. You had one backfield called the Bull Elephant backfield, which you had this Deacon Dan Toller. Um, Tank Younger and Dick Horner. These guys were like 6'2", 235 pounds, big, fast, strong. 
and what they would do is they would beat a defense down. They would just wear them down. Then they had another uh, running back tandem called the Ponies, which were three fast little guys. as Vitamin Smith, uh, Tommy Calamere, and Glenn Davis from uh, the old Army fame. You know, um, so when, when he was at Army and uh, probably one of the greatest football teams ever assembled, it, Davis won Mr. Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside. Yes, with Doc yeah, Blanchard, okay. yes. Yeah, okay. And so, so he was there. And so you had these, these, these three guys that were like 9.9, 100 yard dash, dashers, you know what I mean? Which was, you know, blazing speed at that time. It's fast now, but I mean, it was blazing at that time. So, you know, the bull elephants would just beat these guys down. And then all of a sudden the ponies would come in, just run these guys ragged, the defenses. And then you had Ben Brocklin and Waterfield throwing to Tom Fears and Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch, the two receivers that also wound up in the Hall of Fame. So, they were scoring a point a minute. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, the Rams stats, you know, at that time, they, they were putting up scores, you know, 70 to, you know, 14 and everything like this. You know what's interesting about that? A couple years ago, did a study on and a piece on the highest scoring offenses in, you know, per, for a season in NFL history. And I'm, I'm sitting there going into it thinking, okay, it's going to be um, a Peyton Manning team or Tom Brady, you know, somebody modern or, you know, Patrick Mahomes. No, it was those Rams from that year. I think, yeah. I think they were either first or second in scoring in NFL history in a time where running the ball was more prevalent than, than passing the ball. So I, I can attest, you're right. <laughs> They're pretty darn good. Oh, Darren, they were they were absolutely phenomenal, and they were just just amazing. I mean, I, I don't know how many other great words I can use, but um, the one thing was though they were always the bridesmaids and never the never the brides. Uh, in 1949, they lost to the Eagles in the NFL championship, and they were shut out. They had a, the weather was beautiful in Los Angeles, and then all of a sudden it was like a monsoon. So the field all of a sudden became nothing but a you know a, a, a mud pit. And the the uh, the Eagles had this uh, Norm Van, uh, Steve Van Buren, who was like the the greatest you know whatever great running back you have since the 1940s, and just go through the decades whether it's Jim Brown, Emmitt Smith, Walter Payton, and so on. You had my, my favorite, Marcus Allen, uh, but I'm a little partial to Marcus. But, um, you know, you had all these great guys that, that, that came after him, but Norm Van Brocklin was really the trendsetter. And he just churned out. You know, they, they just wore the Rams down, you know, with, an off, with, the, with the running game. And the Rams also, as I said, did have that pounding offense, but um, they, they just kind of lost their – they lost their momentum because they, they, they couldn't do what they wanted to do. I mean, even though they could maybe pound the ball, the Philadelphia Eagles had, an, had a great defense, too. They had a, uh, an outstanding defense that uh, you just, just totally shut them down. And then the next year, the Rams uh, went out to – came back to Cleveland. Now, now, Cleveland was from – they were the AFC Alpha Dogs for four years. They came in in the NFL in 1950. They won their championship in the Eastern – in the uh, American Conference, and then in the National Conference, you had um, uh, at, at that time the NFL was set up. You had the American Conference, and then the National Conference. Then they went to the Eastern Division and Western Division. But in 1950, it was the American and National Conferences. Both conferences ended in a tie. The Browns beat the Giants, and then the Rams beat the Bears. So here comes the Rams back to Cleveland to play for the NFL championship game hmm. in 1950. And, I mean, no again, no Hollywood script could have been written that, that would have been, ama- you know, that, that would have been believable. So then 
all of a sudden, this game came down to the final seconds. Lou Groza kicked a short yardage field goal, and the the Bears, or I'm sorry, the Browns won it 30 to 28. You know, the Rams were devastated. You know, two straight times they were supposed to dominate. They came back the next year, and most of the book that I that I wrote uh, that we're talking about, most of that book is uh, probably about half of it is geared toward the 1951 season. Uh, and it's just broken down, like, you know, January through April and everything that went on uh, involving the Rams. And, you know, the head coach was like 39 years old, but he looked like he was like 50-something, Joe Steidehar. I mean, he was just a beaten dog. You know, he had ulcers and health problems, and he was, you know, in and out of seeing doctors. It was just wearing him down. And but they finally they put they put a season together. They were only eight four and they were only eight and four that year because they played twelve game schedule. But they managed to get in the, into the uh, into the NFL championship, hosted in Los Angeles again. And who did they play? Were the Cleveland Browns, who I think believe I believe they went on like an eleven game winning streak. And you know the Browns were favored to just maul them again. And Norm Van Brocklin threw a seventy three yard pass to win it. Uh, to Tom Fears, and I believe it was 20, 24 to 17 to win it. And uh, the Rams all of a sudden were the alpha dogs of the NFL, and they were so successful with, uh, you know, with the fans. The fans just absorbed it, and they truly opened up the West Coast for, for other teams, such as the Dodgers a few years later, and then the Lakers, and um, opened up to the uh, – to the Chargers for one year before they moved to San Diego. The first time they were the first the first year that they were in existence, they were in Los Angeles. And granted, they're back there now, but they were in there in 1960. And then, of course, you know my beloved Raiders <laughs> were, were uh, uh, moved out to Los Angeles from 82 to 94. And you know the, the professional hockey and and everything that that evolved really stemmed from the from the Rams moving out there. And uh, they had an innovative owner, Dan Reeves, was just an incredible innovative innovative person where he he had an incredible scouting department and he reminded me a lot of chuck knoll with the steelers i know i'm throwing in your your beloved steelers on this one you know chuck knoll was uh you know if you look at that dynasty that the that the steelers had and i'm sure that you did uh we've, we've discussed <laughs> well, maybe, this on maybe, shows maybe once or twice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh you know, Chuck. No, I mean, you look at you look at the roster. Some of these guys didn't go to these big schools, and that's just if you look at the roster of the '51 Rams, you saw you know Grambling, uh, Arnold Arnold College, where Andy Robostelli went. You know, the guys in the Hall of Fame now, and mm-hmm. just some real small schools. Now, granted, you know, you had Bob Waterfield at UCLA and uh, Norm Van Brocklin at Oregon, and and you know, many many more big big names. But of course, Glenn Davis at Army, but. Um, a lot of the a lot of the guys came from small small schools, and um, it was just it, he was just a master innovator. Oh, yeah, now, you know this is really great timing uh, that your book's coming out here, and we're talking about it because um, we've had a lot of guests here recently. Um, I'm talking you know, within days. Uh, we had a, a gentleman that wrote a book, Dan Taylor, on Kenny Washington. We got to talk oh. quite a bit about Kenny Washington, UCLA, like you're talking about the. Those, some of those early Rams teams that you're talking about when they first moved, uh, you know, and uh, I've also recently talked to about a couple of months ago, I talked to Norm Van Brocklin's daughter who wrote a book about her father. Her name's uh, Karen Vanderite, and we had a nice discussion on her father. A lot of it's, you know, about his Oregon days, but moving into the pro ranks and, and you know, because there was an offensive shift when he was in college and went from the, you know, the 
single wing to the, the, the T formation. And, you know, that's where he found his success was once uh, kind of it's just, just some great stories that all center around this Los Angeles football. And it's you're really tying it up with a bow, uh, bringing all these, uh, you know, great teams and, uh, you know, especially these Rams teams that uh, you're talking about in your book. So really, really kind of cool. Oh, thank you. It's it's just a great time, and it's just nice to see all this. By the way, I, I really would like to get my hands on both of those books. I really want to talk to you after the show, and I want to go. Well, I want to get all the information because I mean, Kenny Washington, in my in my opinion, should be in the Professional Football Hall of Fame. Um, no Canton, doubt. Let's put him in. Let's put him in. I mean, he when he came to the when he came to the NFL, I mean, his knees were pretty shot, you know. But he did a lot of uh, workouts uh, where he just walked and walked, walked like four miles a day. And before training camp and all, and, and he was an ex- and you know what's amazing, Darren, is if you go to the Los Angeles Coliseum, and now you stop and you think about when I said the Los Angeles Coliseum, you stop and you think about all the greats that have passed through there, whether it's the Rams, the Raiders, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers played there for a while uh, before they built um, Dodger Stadium, and all the Olympics and all the athletes that have passed through the the, the Coliseum stores, you know, phenomenal talent. There's only one plaque honoring one person, and it's Kenny Washington. Now, Kenny Washington was a local local guy. You know, he was a star in, in, in high school and, of course, college there and in the pros. But th- that's the only plaque that, that honors that honors a player. So that, that should be some kind of testament to what this man was. And it's like, come on, you know, let, let's put him in. Even if, even if it's for dealing with the uh, Pacific Coast League. I mean, he, he, was, he was a phenomenal talent, phenomenal talent. Yeah, I, I never – I mean, I knew – I knew who Kenny Washington was. I knew, you know, the racial barrier being broken. I knew, you know, he was part of the Gold Dust Trio at UCLA, and mm-hmm. I thought I knew a lot going into. It. I, I read Dan's book, and I, I, when I talked to him, I was like, going, "Oh my God, you, you blew my mind away! How, how good this guy really was!" You know, it's not like they have a lot of footage out there on him that I could find. Oh yeah, but, but he played with Jackie amazing. Robinson. It played with Jackie Robinson at UCLA. Yeah, and, and Willie Strode. You know, they had, Willie Strode. Uh, yes, they're, yeah, phenomenal. But. Uh, just as a confidence, I can't remember who he quoted. He had a quote of a, a legendary defensive player, and I forget who it was now. And this person had played against Jim Brown and Kenny Washington. He said, "He goes with all respects to you know Jim Brown. You know Kenny Washington is the greatest running back that's ever played in the in National Football League." And I'm sitting there, "Wow!" And he didn't hit the National Football League until like eight years after college or something like that. Oh yeah. So, so wow, it's, it's amazing. But, I believe he was. I believe he was 28 when he got into the NFL. Yeah, you know, maybe, 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 maybe a little, couple years young. Maybe between 26 and 28, I believe. So you know, he was already just like when Jackie Robinson, you know, came into the uh, into Major League Baseball with the Dodgers. I mean, he was already an older, you know, as far as athletes go. You know, so and, and you know, they 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 did obviously Jackie Robinson, you know, stood out above all others at that time. But uh, Kenny Washington was was was. Uh, Impressive, and you look at some of the, and I mention a lot of them in my book. You know, um, the early the early days of the Rams. You know, forty six to you know forty eight. I mean, Kenny Washington was was a stud along with Bob Bob Waterfield. I mean, just you know, they they were they were the the the, the tandem. What you could remember, maybe Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith. You know, today. yeah, 
most definitely. The other thing that sort of came up, and this has a Raiders connection to it, we've been posting up quotes of famous football legends, you know, coaches, players, uh, innovators, and we had a John Madden one post up there, his famous comment that went to the effect, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Or, you know, you have none. And I yeah. always sit there and I think about that. I said, boy, the thing that sort of defeats that is the Van Brocklin and Waterfield tandem at quarterback. Oh, know, yeah. Teams. I mean, those guys, you know, it was like, you know, A and A1. You know, you could bring them in and do whatever you want to do. And both guys were always rested and had success. And the, the team rallied behind them. So no, I, th- I, th- I think uh, with all respect to Mr. Madden's comment, I think uh, – that's not always the case, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, John, John Madden, to me, walks on water. I mean, uh, you know, I, him and Tom Flores, I mean, they, uh, Coach Flores, I, I got a special place in my heart for him. Um, but uh, both of those guys, you know, phenomenal, in, in what they did with the Raiders, and, and, of course, John Madden, what he created. But I have to agree with you on that because the Rams blew that, that statement out of the water because um, you, you had two guys also, and they were f- like fire and ice. You know, you had Bob Waterfield was cool, but he was quiet. Uh, he was probably the best all-around athlete there. I mean, he was even a gymnast in high school. I mean, he was he was just a great athlete. And funny thing was, when he first went out for for high school football at Van Nuys High School, um, they were saying, "No, you're too small. You know, you're just too small." And, you know, they, they they like let him go. You know, <laughs> and he came back and he grew over the summer. And I mean, uh, he yeah, I'd like I wonder what that coach thought, but. Uh, yeah, he, he was, he was every, he could run, he could pass, he could, he could, you name it on the football field, he probably could have sold popcorn in the sands. I mean, he, he was that talented, but he was a quiet leader. Where Norm Van Brocklin was the type that would come in, you know, you know, kick, you know, kick somebody in the butt if they needed it. He was very fiery. He, uh, had a, a quite a battle with Joe Steidehar, the head coach. Um, uh, you know, just, just a lot of, um, a lot of fire. He was very, very fiery. And the ironic thing was that uh, when they passed away, they both passed away within they, – they died the same year. I believe it was 1983, and they died not too far apart either. So it was kind of kind of ironic, you know, that they, they, they passed through a town, they, they set it on fire, and then they left this earth almost together. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of shared history in football with those two, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, Bob, Waterfield was, Bob Waterfield was so – they said he was so generous, and, and he would he would come in to training camp. He would toss the keys to his to his football to, to his to his teammates and say, "Hey, here's my Cadillac, and just take it whenever you want it." You know, I mean, he, he was he was very very again quiet, but when he spoke, the words meant something, and uh, he was revered by all of his teammates. And I don't know if him and a lot of people asked me, did him and Van Brocklin get along? I don't really know. You know, I mean, it, it, that's that's a hard one to say. Um, they were teammates and all, but you know, I can't really see them really sharing too many. Maybe they shared a drink or two, but I can't really see them, uh, you know, probably hanging out in social circles. I mean, it was just, they were just two different types of people. Maybe you might change your perspective once you read uh, Karen's book because it's 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 really peeled back a lot of layers of Norm Van Brocklin and not just see what you know him as a football player. So maybe. Maybe that changes your mind a little bit. I have a whole different perspective of of who the man was now. Oh wow! So so it's, oh, it's, I can't it's wait. Really, to, seriously, yeah, I, I yeah, cannot wait really to. Good. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to read this. Uh, like I said, I I, I love the fifty one. Um, uh, the Pro Football Researchers Association came out with a book uh, last year 
1951 Rams. And they asked me if I wanted to write a, a story on it. So I wrote about four game summaries and about Tank Younger's biography. And, um, you know, so, so it was kind of, kind of cool to see that come out and then my book and now these two books come out. And I, I just think this is great. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, like you said, great timing for this. And, yeah. uh, uh, now I'm looking forward to reading her book and, uh, also the one on Kenny Washington too. Uh, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really, like I said, I always, I respected Van Brocklin and all, but like I said, it seemed like, you know, again, from what the papers said, and I went by, I went by not, not my personal opinions or other people's opinions and all, I went by, unless they really knew them firsthand, but, uh, you know, if his daughter would have said something, I would have listened, but, um, I went by pretty much the newspapers and, and records like that by what the press was saying. That way you kind of keep it where you don't use your own public opinion. You don't use your opinion, and it kind of keeps you from getting into trouble. You know? Right, right. Now, yeah, Karen, she she based a lot of her her parents had uh, – they corresponded quite a bit. and They weren't always at the same place because – you know, because of his career and traveling and things like that. So they wrote quite a bit of letters back and forth. They were, she describes them as love letters. And they, they were, there's a loving nature between the two, but there was so much, in, she got so much from that content from those letters. And then she went and talked to many of his Oregon and, uh, uh, LA Ram teammates that had memories of it and put these pieces together with, you know, some newspapers.com and some footage and everything. And you know, it, it, it's just tremendous. It's, the football part's good. It, the, the whole story is really good. So I'll, I'll save that for you to, to look at. We won't, oh, yes. We'll, yes. We'll, we'll I, I, I'm probably going to buy them tomorrow, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, she'll appreciate that. That's good. All right. So, um, you know, you, you know, this is also – very well timed because you know we just we're just uh, about a year and a half of away from when the Rams won a Super Bowl and yes. the best team in the National Football League. So you know it comes full circle and you know they rose back up to the top again. So that's a, in a brand new stadium out there. Now two teams are in LA and man, you just got some exciting things in football going on in Los Angeles. Oh, it is. It's a it's a it was a great time. Like I said, I became fascinated with this team. Because of, you know, Jane Russell, you know, and the whole Marilyn Monroe connection with that. And, um, I know it's a little off, off beat and everything, but I started to kind of like think about, geez, what would it have been like to have been, you know, like a star, a star athlete, a star quarterback, let's say Bob Waterfield, going on the Sunset Strip at that time and being around in Hollywood and eating at these, these famous restaurants and, and all that are long gone now, you know, and I spent some time in Los Angeles. And, you know, you don't see any of that old history. And it's funny because when, 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 when I, when I was out there, it was kind of like you, you, you walked around and you go, geez, I wonder where this was or I wonder who walked here, you know, this type of thing. And, uh, so it was the Hollywood connection that, cause they used to call them the Hollywood Rams because, you know, a lot of the guys were handsome and a lot of them were in movies actually. They were used as extras in movies and all. And a couple of them, uh, beside, um, Bob Waterfield being married to Jane Russell. Glenn Davis was married to an actress named Terry Moore for a while. They wound up marrying Howard Hughes. And there was a tumultuous relationship that didn't last too long. I think that <laughs> the honeymoon lasted longer than the actual marriage. But, um, but you know, you just had that, that Hollywood connection. And uh, I just became fascinated by it. 
so years go by and you know you know life goes life goes on you know you 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 know you 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 have your family and and everything you know and and that always stayed in the back of my mind and one day i told my wife i said you know i really would like to do something on that and then one thing led to another and uh i i was i was able to do that and um and then it just started pouring out of me and thanks to newspapers.com which i know is a big supporter of the the network um, newspapers.com is absolutely phenomenal because that opened up everything sure for me. Yeah, and sure uh, I, I, I wouldn't want to be without newspapers.com. It's, you know, it's, it's like, it, it averages out to like $3 a week and it's the greatest resource tool you could ever have. You can go anywhere and get anything on, on, on anything, you know, whether it's football, anything. And uh, so I, I just, I absolutely love it. Absolutely you, love it. And thanks to You know what I found myself doing newspapers.com? You know, it didn't happen at first overnight, but now I think I spend more time in newspapers.com than I do in, uh, I know I do, than I do in a current newspaper. That's, <laughs> that's oh, yeah. reading old news more, but uh, it's fascinating just the, the search uh, and everything on it. Well, one okay. thing leads to another, one thing leads to another, and um, it's, it's just, um, like in between doing the, you know, the football, I'm going to be having a book coming out in a few weeks, my, the first edition of championship diary. And it's, uh, there were going to be about Super Bowls, World Series, whatever. And the first one I did is, uh, the one on Super Bowl 18 when the Los Angeles Raiders play the Washington Redskins. And hopefully I can come back on your show and talk about that in a few weeks. Ab- if, if, absolutely. Um, if like you, know have me. you have the open invitation. You know that. So oh, thank you. Yeah. But I, I also putting together some stuff on Marilyn Monroe films, you know, uh, shorter volume books dedicated to her movies. And with newspapers.com, I was able to go into the old Los Angeles newspapers, and they have these these reporters that would go to these different movie sets and talk about the movies. Well, Marilyn Monroe was the queen of Hollywood at that time, so everybody was reporting on her. So this was just like this floodgate opened up. So what was going to start off as a 50-page or 60-page project, all of a sudden, it's up, like up to 100 pages, you know, because of all this. It's just phenomenal, Excellent. and um, it's 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 incredible. But back to the Rams, um, it was a uh, it was it was a lot of fun experience. I was able to to get all the years of dreaming about this. I put it all into one one project, and I came out very very pleased and very proud with uh, what I was able to what I was able to produce. And I just would like to give a shout out to. Uh, uh, a dear friend of mine and the one that formatted this book, he did the cover design, is Cody Haggard is his name. And anybody out in the audience that has any desire to do a book that's looking to have it formatted and to have a cover design, um, please get a hold of Darren, and Darren can get a hold of me, and I can get a hold of Cody, and uh, he, he won't let you down. He's, he's quick at what he does and just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. So uh, couldn't have done it without him. Oh, I, I might be contacting you for for Cody's uh, stuff here soon myself. So consider well, it done. Okay, well let, let's not tease the audience anymore because let, let's give the title of the book again, where folks can get a copy of it at, and uh, you know anything else you have with it. Okay, everyone, all you have to do is just go to Amazon and go to Professional Football Goes Hollywood, and it's a great cover it's got it's a blue background it's got a yellow star like the walk of hollywood fame on there and um that's all you have to do and it'll come up and the, the subtitle will come out also about you know the emergence of los angeles and the pro football um but uh that's all you have to do it's professional football goes hollywood and 
just click that in and it will come up and you can get it in an ebook and you can get it in a physical copy, a paperback. I try to keep everything reasonable. I have the uh, ebook at 7.99 and the hard copy at 18.99. I wanted to keep it, keep the prices down because you 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 want people to you want people to buy it. I mean, you want people to enjoy it and not have to have an arm and a leg to get something. So, I love to keep the prices down. I published it independently through my own label, so I was able to control everything like that. And it's a very liberating experience. And again, thanks to Cody, who you know you'll probably get to know personally, <laughs> you know, in the future. Um, he's a, a you know it, it was just a great great opportunity. All right, well, Rich Smelter, thank you so much for preserving football history and then writing a book about it, sharing it with all of us in the public, and then coming on and talking about it too. Folks, make sure you get a copy of the book. And Rich, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Darren, and thank you everyone for listening. Sorry if I rambled on too much, but I just love this stuff and I love doing this show. So thank you everybody for listening. We're taking a peek over at the chains in the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast as well as Jersey Dispatch on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcast. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.